Section 18 of Sir Francis Drake by Julian Corbett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 10 In Quest of the Spanish Armada. Part 2. From Howard downwards, the sailors were in despair. All through March, he and Seymour were compelled to waste their resources with a naval demonstration off Ostend in support of negotiations which they knew instinctively were but a trick drake was kept idle at plymouth and it was thought that when the moment came he could not possibly be ready we can see him fuming up and down the plymouth hoe as he looked down on his half-dismantled ships growing fouler and fouler as they chafed at their moorings we hear him swearing and praying by turns as he gazes seawards for a trace of the gunboats he had sent to finisterre for intelligence that will convince his mistress that the peace negotiation is only a trick to disarm her still the weeks went by and nothing was done till at the end of the month he received orders to get ready for sea then from the depth of his disgust he poured out one last appeal to the council during his impatient striding up and down the hoe the true theory of naval warfare of which he had already a dim perception had been growing clearer in his teeming mind and in his acknowledgment of the fresh orders he for the first time distinctly formulates the idea of getting command of the sea he fully grasped that the invasion was to come from parma in the netherlands but no less perfectly he perceived that its feasibility hung upon the possession of the four seas if her majesty he wrote and your lordships think that the king of spain meaneth any invasion in england then doubtless his force is and will be great in spain and therein he will make his groundwork or foundation whereby the prince of parma may have the better entrance which in mine own judgment is most to be feared but if there may be such a stay or stop made by any means of this fleet in spain that they may not come through the seas as conquerors which i assure myself they think to do then shall the prince of parma have such a check thereby as were meet with deep apologies he urged the folly of keeping so large a fleet blockading parma and craved that his own division might be strengthened that he might go and seek the enemies of god and her majesty wherever they were to be found still struggling to give clear utterance to the idea with which his genius was in travail he went on only to confuse it with the moral effect of offensive operations till his passion altogether overcame his argument and he told how three hundred english flags with the red cross had been made in lisbon which is he bursts out a great presumption proceeding from the haughtiness and pride of the spaniard and not to be tolerated by any true natural english heart his appeal had some effect for on its heels came a dispatch from the commissioners at ostend telling how parma had admitted that warlike preparations were still going on in spain though he vowed they were only against drake so an order came down that he was to write to the queen direct and tell her how strong her fleet ought to be to carry out his ideas and how he proposed to distress the fleet which was assembling at lisbon to the second question he would give no direct reply traitors were too thick about the queen and he told her it depended upon the intelligence he got on the way and the temper of his force when he got it to sea the last example at cadith he growled in the bitterness of his anger 
is not of divers yet forgotten for one such flying now as burra did then will put the whole in peril as to the strength of her fleet god increase your most excellent majesty's forces daily said he but with four more navy ships and sixteen merchantmen that were fitting out at london he declared himself ready through the goodness of his merciful god to answer for the armada or even as the advantage of time and place in all martial actions was half the victory he offered to sail as he was and let the reinforcements follow surly as was the tone of his answer the queen was delighted and sang his praises everywhere but still she could not make up her mind to loose her growling dog a fortnight later one of the gunboats came in with intelligence that showed the armada was on the eve of sailing and drake in an agony of impatience hurried the captain up to court urging again as a matter of life and death that he should be allowed to go the answer was a summons to town elizabeth was now thoroughly alarmed and no sooner was the sailor's rough eloquence heard ringing in the council chamber than the queen's purpose was at last made firm the eyes of the government were opened to the great idea and howard with every ship that had three months victuals was ordered to join drake in the west golden weeks had been wasted how grave the peril was those only grasped who had to face it and drake knew that if the armada was once allowed to sail the england he loved so well was at the mercy of god it was not till may twenty third that howard reached plymouth drake was already there in the morning light at the head of sixty sail he put out to greet the lord admiral and then as they met went about with his whole division and escorted his delighted chief into port there the combined fleet watered and on may thirtieth as an easterly breeze sprung up the two admirals put to sea in loyal concert to try if there yet were time to strike the weapon from the hand that threatened their country's life it was no easy task that was before them over the sea came uncertain sounds of preparation so vast that no one could doubt any longer where philip's right arm was but where and how it would strike was still uncertain it might be destined for ireland or for scotland it might be meant to see some english port it might be under orders to join parma or to act with the guises from france it might come north about by the orkneys or directly up the channel and to watch one route was to leave the other open even if the armada's course were divined aright the wind which brought it must throw the english to leeward and to reap the advantage of our superior gunnery on which the whole hope of victory lay the weather gauge was essential for the defending force it was a situation as difficult as that which outwitted nelson himself and one well designed to force home drake's idea of the command of the seas from the first drake had seen the strategic and tactical disadvantages of attempting to cover any of the threatened points to prevent those threats ever being developed was his plan and to effect this he saw he must go boldly out and lie to windward of the enemy's port of departure once there he felt that even if they dared come out he could so handle them as they put to sea and so harass their advance that nothing but a broken remnant would ever reach the british coasts as far as men could see it was the only chance and hoping against hope that there might yet be time the admirals lay the course for finisterre 
but their cup was not yet full ere they were clear of the channel the wind veered to south and began to freshen to a gale in their very teeth with it came over the deserted seas a solitary merchantman which announced that ten days ago she had seen the whole armada stretching westerly from horizon to horizon on a northerly wind it was too late the wind which had stopped the english fleet would bring the enemy and there was nothing to do but to stand off and on where they were for six days the gale continued veering slowly but in spite of it the fleet held its ground on the seventh day it was blowing harder than ever straight from the west and then fearing to be driven so far to the leeward as to uncover plymouth the discomfited admirals put back the disastrous situation which for months had been haunting drake's dreams was at last waking truth still the spaniards came not and a ray of hope brightened the gloom as drake with the instinct of a born strategist divined what had happened behind the waste of storm he felt that what he had seen was only a move to a rendezvous at Karuna. there was still time to strike the conditions were indeed more favourable than ever after the gale the armada must take time for a final concentration and backed by hawkins frobisher and fenner he persuaded howard to try again their determination was at once announced to the council but day after day the westerly gale continued to rage such a summer had never been seen every attempt to get to sea failed and ere the fleet got free to drake's utter dismay there came a peremptory order from the queen absolutely forbidding the manoeuvre in drake's absence some one had frightened her back into the old and feudal methods and with a sharp reprimand for rashness howard was directed to cruise between spain and england and to water nowhere but on his own coasts had the queen in her perverseness wished to destroy her fleet as well as paralyze it she could hardly have given more fitting orders with a sullen growl the admirals obeyed it was june nineteenth before they could get out and in three days they had to put back for want of victuals it was not till the next evening that the provision ships arrived and it was fortunate they did for the same night came news that eighteen spanish ships had been sighted off Scilly. without a moment's hesitation a few stores were flung on board the fleet and leaving the victuallers to follow it pushed out to sea again on a fresh north-easterly breeze to cut off the straggling squadron but again ere they were out of the channel the wind chopped round to the south-west and stopped further progress it was the wind to bring the armada at any moment its sails might appear so while howard stood off and on in mid-channel drake with ten ships and four or five gunboats made a sweep down to the bay to feel for the enemy there and to retard their advance if he found them stealing up the french coast howard had a fixed idea that the first intention of the armada was to join hands with the guises in some french port but though drake bowed to the lord admiral's superior political information from the first his instinct told him the movement was only exhausting the fleet to no purpose by this time it was known that two more stray spanish squadrons had been hovering about Scilly, but for days no sign of them had appeared one of them had even been sighted bearing for spain and drake divined the rest as though he had indeed been shown the truth in a magic mirror he knew that the late gales had broken up the armada and that it must be painfully reassembling in the ports about finisterre 
as he paced impatiently the deck of the revenge gazing out over the still desolate sea he saw in vigo and bayona and caruna a confusion of shattered rigging and heard the muttering of landsmen sickened of the sea and raw crews demoralized with failure into the midst he pictured himself bursting like a thunderclap and in a storm of fire and iron completing the ruin which heaven had begun in a week he could endure it no longer victuals were running out the crews on half rations were falling sick and as every day some poor fellow was flung overboard they began to lose heart june came to an end and then drake rejoined the lord admiral to try and prove to him with all the force of his eloquence how the lord had once more in his mercy delivered the enemy into their hand all was in vain howard loyal to his fatal instructions would do nothing but stretch out his fleet like a net across the mouth of the channel and patrol his front and flanks with gunboats in desperation drake reduced his reasons to writing and sent them home imploring to be allowed to go at least a little nearer to spain in order that even if he were wrong and the spaniards were already on their way he might still have some chance of getting to windward of them before they entered the channel shaken at length by his lieutenant's vehemence howard ventured to stretch his scruples so far as to advance the line outside the channel and there on the afternoon of the seventh a fresh northerly breeze came up behind them to drake it was the very breath of the lord and before his passionate conviction howard at last gave way half the fleet had but a few days provisions but as drake pointed out if they returned for more the other half would be just as bad so without more ado away they went for finisterre long and low the tempter must have laughed to himself as they flew before the wind if it only held orders or no orders for bare life's sake his scrupulous commander would be compelled to revictual from philip's storeships no man ever watched the wind more anxiously as next day's sails began to shake ominously yards were braced round bowlines were strained more and more yet league by league they neared the goal on the ninth ushant was eighty leagues behind but their labour was in vain a sou'wester was blowing in their teeth to proceed was impossible to stay was starvation and in open wonder that god would have sent a sou'wester drake confessed that retreat was the only course so for the third time the great armada escaped helpless and wind-bound it had been lying in caruna bay at the mercy of the fireships and great guns of a fleet to windward but now the wished-for wind had come to release it and on the twelfth as howard's exhausted fleet reappeared off plymouth the duke of medina sidonia in the fullness of his strength put out to sea untouched not an english sail was there to see or hinder and ignorant of the jeopardy in which they stood howard and drake set every hand to work that their fleets might be ready to renew the attempt together the moment the wind was fair a messenger sped to court for permission and this time so convincing had drake's memorandum proved it was not refused by the nineteenth they were almost ready sick had been landed crews were reinforced the scanty stores allowed were on board when suddenly they were astounded with the news that the armada was off the lizard the tables were completely turned by the southwest wind on which medina sidonia was advancing the english were shut in port 
and caught in the very same trap which drake had meant to be the destruction of the enemy clever as he was he had not guessed the whole truth he could not tell that the wandering squadrons were merely some stray ships that had kept on bravely in spite of the gales to the rendezvous at Scilly. he could not tell that the bulk of the armada more faint-hearted had never passed finisterre but had taken shelter weeks ago ere irreparable damage was done after all his scheming and strife with friend and foe he was taken by surprise at last and the armada had reached the channel without one english gun to say it nay End of section eighteen